Thursday morning, I want you to picture this. Uh, you're with your friends or your coworkers or your teammates, and uh, you're either at practice, you're studying for an exam, you're just hanging out at the coffee shop, you're, you're playing Xbox Live with them, you're talking to them or something like that. And out of nowhere, when you guys are having a conversation, they just bring up spiritual things. You know, whatever it is, it could be, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man, I just, I just, I just want to do what I want to do because, hey, this is the only life we got, so let's just, nothing happens after death, right? Or they say something about Christianity, or they say something about Jesus, they say something about how they don't really like this whole God thing, or the hypocrites, or Christians are hypocrites, right? And in that moment, when you first hear that, you as a Christian, if you're anything like me, you start to get a little warm inside, right? Your palms start sweating a little bit. Your heart rate starts to go up a little bit. And you know, you feel the pressure of the Holy Spirit coming down on you and going, this is your shot, right? These just open the door wide open for you to share the gospel with your friends and you're extremely nervous. And then the first thing that happens or one of two things usually happens, either you get psyched out, right? You're so nervous that you look at that and go, ah, I can't. I'm not going to do it. Or you do open your mouth and it's a, it's a jumbled mess, right? And it makes no sense. And you walk away going, I really don't want to do that again, right? Who, who's been there before? If you've been there before as a Christian, yes. You felt the heat, the pressure, the desire to want to share the gospel and maybe not the knowledge or, or, or the ability to, to know how to do that. And I can relate. I mean, I'm sure that Josh and Phil and every one of your counselors has had an experience just like that because we are not, we're not the all-stars here, guys. Like, we are not the guys who know it all. Uh, your pastors at your home, they're not the know-it-alls. God uses the broken people, and we have experiences like that, just like you. In fact, I remember um, the juvie that I got locked up in uh, when I was 17 years old. I actually had the privilege, after I got saved a couple years later, uh, to go back to this juvie and actually preach the gospel there. So it was a pretty cool opportunity. And so I go in there. And I'm, you know, I'm an apologist at heart. I love answering hard questions. And so I, there you go. So I, so I got this message together where I was just so convinced this is going to win these kids over and they are all going to get saved and it's going to be amazing. And I get there and I am no more than like three minutes into my first point. And I didn't know this was like a give and take thing, right? So I'm no more than three minutes into my first point, And all these kids that are all locked up, they just have their folding chairs out just like you guys are in front of me right now. And there's this girl right in the front row. And she couldn't be more than like 15 years old. And she looked so angry at every single word I was saying. And as soon as I was starting to talk, she immediately just rose her hand. And I knew... At that moment, now I'm the, I'm the educated guy giving the Christian talk, and I should know the answers, right? And at that moment, I'm looking at that little girl going, not little girl, the girl going, she might ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, <laughs> right? 
And so immediately, even while I'm preaching, I get this hot, like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't really know if I want to acknowledge what she's saying. And so I backed out. I looked at her, I go, hey, uh, we'll actually save the questions for the end. And purposely, I knew in my head, I'm not going to answer her question. And I didn't, I'd come back to it. To my shame, of course, I say that, but we've all experienced that. And so for the past few mornings, we've been really talking about how when God saves you, he transforms you, and he gives you these gifts, right? He gives you all of this awesome potential to go out and do something crazy for him. And uh, yesterday, we kind of gave you the big picture, right? That with these gifts, man, God could do amazing things through you guys. He could do amazing things through each and every single one of you, if you know him. He could transform the world. And today, I really want to get practical. So it's going to be more of a practical message, but I want to answer the question, okay, great, I'm excited that it's possible that we can change the world, but how do I actually have a conversation with somebody about the gospel? Right? How do I actually have that across the table conversation with somebody actually having these gospel conversations? Because that's some of the hardest times for us, right? It's some of the most intimidating times for us. So that's what we're going to do today. And I, I, I think that Paul, he gives us another great example, as we've been seeing throughout the week. And in Acts 17, so if you want to turn to Acts 17, we're going to be in verses 16 through 34. Paul gives us an amazing example for how we can share the gospel with people. And as we're going through this, and as I'm kind of making my points, uh, I want you guys to be thinking about your one. We talked about that at the end of the last message. Who's your one? Your one person that you have in mind, that you are committed to pray for and committed to plan out how you can share the gospel with them. Think about your one. One, as we go through this message, let's get into this and let's dig into the text. Verse 16, now now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So Paul, little background, he gets chased out of two straight cities, he gets separated from his friends, and he ends up in this city called Athens. Now, you guys may recognize the name, it's a very famous city, it's probably one of the most important historical cities, it's where the Olympics started, and it really was the intellectual mecca of the world at the time. It was the Harvard or the Oxford of the ancient world. And so this is where Paul lands, and so we pick it up, verse 17. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be preaching of a foreign deities because he was preaching of Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, we, may we know what this teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. 
So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not, not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some of them mocked him. But others said, eh, we'll hear you about this again. So Paul went out of their midst, and some men joined and believed him. Among those were Dionysus the Areopagite and the woman named Demarius and others with them. So Paul, in this story, he actually reminds me a lot of a guy that, that uh, Josh and I were both mentored by. And his name's Chuck DeClean. And Chuck, he's an awesome guy. And some of you guys may know him here if you, if you grew up around faith or whatnot. And Chuck is just, he's just, He's just so bold. And one time, there's a story about Chuck where he, he's going and he's knocking on doors to go witness to people. And he's got an appointment to go to this house, and he ends up at the wrong house. And so he knocks on the door, doesn't hear anything, kind of hears, I think he heard somebody say, come on in. And so he comes in, and there's just this completely random family there. And he just looks at this opportunity and goes, oh, hey. And he sits down with them and he shares the gospel with them. This guy's wild, right? Well, that's Paul right here. Paul is, is, is Chuck, or Chuck is Paul maybe is a better example, where Paul's like, I didn't even mean to be in Athens. I didn't want to be in Athens, but I'm here. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to share the gospel with these people. And I don't know about you, but, but I want to be a lot like that, right? I want to have my life be led by missions. I want to live on mission in such a way that wherever God has me, I want to I go and share the gospel with people and share the good news with people. So let's, let's take some time now to look at the example that Paul gives us here. And I want to propose four things that, that Paul shows us. And the first one is that he had a heart for the lost. 
He had a heart for the lost. And I'm really getting that out of the first verse here in verse 16, where Paul says that his spirit was provoked. It was an anguish, meaning that Paul was in so much emotional anguish, emotional pain over the sinful worship of the idols in Athens. It was an anguish, like in the sense that if you ever watch a true crime documentary and you get one that like the kids die, you know, and your spirit's just like, oh my goodness, that, oh, that just gets to you. So this is what Paul's like here. His spirit is in anguish over these lost Athenians people. And it wasn't just the fact that they were worshiping the idols. It was, it was what the idol worship led to, right? It was a group of lost people. It was a group of lost people on their way to an eternity separated from God. And so Paul's looking at this and his heart is absolutely sick to the core about all of these thousands and thousands of people that he's looking at and going, they don't know Jesus. And so as you guys think about your one, you guys have your one in mind. As you think about your one, the first lesson I think we can learn from our friend Paul is that if you want to be able to share the gospel with your loved ones, your heart must break for their hell-bound soul. It must be in anguish for their future. Um, I don't know about you, but if you grew up in the church, maybe you've had this experience where you hear about hell and you start to focus on that word forever. And you guys been there before? And, and you just let that word go through your head. And I remember sitting there as a kid going forever, 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 and just being absolutely horrified of that. Well, if you are a Christian, you have been delivered from forever. Can I get an amen if you're a Christian? Right? You've been delivered from forever. But at the same time, your loved ones, your friends, your teammates, your classmates, your family, if they don't know Jesus, they have not been delivered from that forever. Right? Do you get that? Do you feel that? In one sense, we should. We should forget the forever in the sense like, hey, let God be glorified. I'm not going to hell. God saved me from that. Hallelujah. And at the same time, we ought to reflect and think, but that same forever that so horrified me, and rightfully so as a, as a child or when I was thinking about spiritual things, is the same forever that my unbelieving friends will experience if they don't know Christ. And I often like to say, a love for the lost must come from a love for the Lord. A love for the lost must come from a love for the Lord. God has saved you from an eternity of suffering and you ought to rejoice. But ask yourself the question, do your hearts break for those who have not experienced that same salvation? Um, as I said yesterday, I think, I think for many of you in this room that are Christians, the answer to that question, do your hearts break, is honestly yes. Like you would say like, yeah, I do. Like I do. I, I really do want 
my friends to know Christ. I really do want these people that I love to know the gospel. But it's fear, right? It's fear that's holding us back. And like I said in my story, like, you're not alone. Like, you're not alone. Like, I am so weak. I'm so weak. And I'm so fearful of what people might think about me, of losing friends. We are so fearful oftentimes. And I loved, when I was studying for this, I, uh, I ran into something that Ray Comfort said. And it, like, dropped me to my knees, and I loved it. Uh, and and, I, and Ray's, he's an awesome guy. But this is what he said. He gave this analogy. And he said, if there is a lake that's frozen, right, and I ask you to go jump into that lake, and you'll die within three minutes from hypothermia, I could never convince you to do that. Right? I could never convince you to do that. Why would you do that? But if your own child or if you're, little brother or sister, or even just some random baby, little, little child fell into that lake, it would be your instinct to jump in, even though you're fearful of the cold water, to jump in and save that child. And, and his point was this, our solution is not less fear, but more love. Our solution's not less fear, but more love. You see, because the more you truly love others and are in anguish over their eternal destiny, and you're looking at them in the eyes and going, you don't know Christ. You don't know Christ. And where you are headed is somewhere awful, and I don't want that for you. Then the fear of their response starts to fade away. You get that? So so if you're here today and you're thinking about your one going, man, if I really were to sit down with them, if I really were to ask them to go out for coffee and and talk about things that actually matter, man, they might not be my friends anymore. Here's a solution. Don't pray for less fear. Pray for more love. Pray that God would mend your hearts to your friends. Mend your hearts to your loved ones and to the ability where you can just look at them and go, I have to share this message. There's nothing inside me that would stop me, even though the fear is there. God, give us less fear and more love. Um, and, and Paul's not just the example of this. Jesus is the example of this, right? If you remember the story of the rich young ruler, you got this, this rich young guy who runs up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus sees right through all of his nonsense and how he's pretending that he's got it all together, but really, in reality, he doesn't. And Jesus, it says in Mark 10, 21, it said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then Jesus went on to offend him with the gospel. He gave him the gospel. He said, you got to give up everything to follow me. That was offensive to that rich young ruler. He turned around and walked away. But Jesus didn't back down in fear of this young man walking away because he did. He didn't back down in fear because he loved the young man too much not to tell him the truth. So so when you're thinking about this and you're thinking through your loved ones and the ones, you're, you're one, are you willing when your friends 
and you're studying for your exams, and they bring up the fact that their mom just found out they have cancer. Do you love them enough to be able to look them in the eyes and tell them of the hope of the gospel and what Jesus can offer them outside of this life? And when you're talking to your friends on whatever, you're playing video games or whatnot, and they start mocking Christianity, do you love them enough in a winsome, loving way to tell them the truth of the gospel? It starts with the heart for the lost. You have to have a heart for the lost. And this honestly may be the most important point because people can see through you, right? I mean, like, you've all been there. You've all, you've all been there where you're talking to someone and they just want to talk. And you can tell they really don't care about you, right? We've all been there. The old adage, people don't know how much you care until they, or they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? People can see right through that. So, so love people. Look them in the eyes. Get an understanding of what's been done for you so that you can share with them what can be done for them. Okay, second point is that you're, uh, uh, that Paul shows us here is that you must have eyes for the idols. And I know in your notes it's wrong. I screwed that up. I think the last point's wrong too, so go ahead and scratch that out. Uh, but I'm getting that from verses 22 through 24. So Paul, or Luke rather, who's the writer of Acts, he, uh, he uses these visual words right here uh, to describe what Paul's doing. So in verse 16 he says, he saw that the city was full of idols. In verse 22, he says, I see that you are extremely religious. And in verse 23, he says, I observe that your objects of worship, or observed your objects of worship. So Paul, what he's doing right here is he is observing what the people of Athens are trying to replace God with, right? A little bit like we talked about yesterday when we're talking about what you're trying to replace God with. But here Paul's doing that with those he's trying to reach. And he's trying to show them that their worship of idols or their worship for idols is actually their hearts crying out for the one true God. So in verse 27 it says, you guys are like a blind man groping around trying to find something right here. What Paul is really trying to challenge them to do is to think about how their desire for fulfillment in their desire for fulfillment, they are actually looking to be fulfilled by God. So they think their idols are going to fulfill them, right? Josh talked about the satisfaction that happens, when in reality, it's God that's going to satisfy them. And so the second, or the third, or yeah, the second lesson that we can learn from Paul is if you want to share the gospel with your loved ones, you must observe what idols they're trying to replace God with. You must observe what idols they're trying to replace God with. And uh, just a practical example of this, I uh, just uh, oh, about six months ago, I got to lead one of my friends to Christ, and I had been witnessing to this guy for two years, and just every single week. And he was an atheist turned agnostic, uh, really smart guy, numbers guy, Iowa State grad, and he just like would go around and around with all of these questions about God, right? Free will, sovereignty, what, all, of, all of the questions. And so we just kept on going around and around until finally I figured out, by the grace of God, that he had an idol of, of girlfriends in his life. He wanted a girlfriend so bad, and he thought that, man, if I could just get a girlfriend, 
then my life would be satisfied. Then I could finally have that one person that would truly tell me that I'm wanted. And so I had to talk to him. And while I'm talking to him, I go, Jacob, you have to understand, like, this is the issue right here. You're pretending as if all these questions about Christianity are the issue, when in reality, it's your idol of a girlfriend trying that you want to find satisfaction in. And so I said, Jacob, you, you have to understand that even if you have the best girlfriend, turns your wife, she's awesome, she'll never satisfy you. She can't do it for you. You can only find that true satisfaction in Jesus. And so by God's grace, Jacob really did find that and he got saved. Praise the Lord. Um, and so when you are sharing the gospel with your loved ones, the question you should ask is what are they trying to replace God with? And more often than not, this is going to take time, right? It's not just a quick thing where you're going to be like, hey, I just met you. Boom, I know that you're addicted to wanting to find a girlfriend. Like, you don't find that out on the first coffee conversation. Maybe, maybe you do by God's grace, but most of the time you don't. And so Paul even gives us that example. In verse 17, he says, He was in the marketplace every single day he was there. So Paul didn't just fly into Athens with a megaphone, condemn people to hell, and just bounce, right? That's not what he did. He came in, and every single day he was talking with them. He persuaded with them, right? You see this. He's going, I'm observing that you have all of these idols. And so wisely, he goes, okay, you, individual here, you're really worshiping this God, I'm just theorizing, and this is what Paul is doing. And so this is how I want to take this conversation, right? So we have to be observing their idols. Uh, and, and, and this really is wisdom right here. If you're going to be a Christian and you're going to share your faith with other people, you must be in constant prayer that God would just give you wisdom. And you need wisdom. Uh, so have an eye for the idol. His third point is that you must have guts to speak the hard truth. Um, So right after I got saved, I was 18 years old. I was very passionate, didn't know anything about the Bible. I mean, I knew like normal stuff about the Bible if you grew up in a Christian church, but I didn't have no knowledge. But for whatever reason, I was like leading a Bible study of like eight guys at my buddy's house. And it was a very bad decision to have me lead it, but whatever. And so we get there, and as I'm getting there one day, there, I see these Mormons coming up. And I'm just like kind of licking my chops. I'm like, oh yeah, these Mormons, they're going to get it. And as soon as they walk up to the door, I'm like, hey guys, come on in, come on in. And so we sit them down, and for like the next hour, I, they like said two words. They said two words, and I just hammered them. I was just... Yelling out, hey, you are worshiping the wrong God. You are yada, 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 yada. To the point where my friend's mom had to come down and be like, hey, what is going on here? You can't just scream at a bunch of Mormons and, <laughs> and expect something good to happen about this. And so being the wise person in the room, she escorted them out. Um, in that moment, did I have guts? I guess, maybe. But I do it wisely Not at all. I didn't do it wisely. Now, the example that Paul gives us here is amazing because he gives us a gutsy and wise example. He gives us a wise and gutsy example where he just gets done detailing this argument from, okay, I'm talking to these people in Athens. 
Uh, they're worshiping these gods. And so I'm going to start, I'm going to start with explaining how there really can only be one true God. And so he's depicting, he's going through this argument. And then at the end, he hammers home the wise and gutsy truth of the gospel. And that's the third thing I think we can pick up from Paul. If you want to be able to share the gospel with your loved ones, you must actually share the gospel, right? Does that make sense? You have to do it. Because like I said before, I am an apologist at heart. And so I oftentimes, to my shame, I'll, 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 I'll love to answer the hard questions of life and just dance around the gospel. And just, oh, I'd rather answer these questions over here. Or I'd rather answer these questions over here. But what I'm doing is I'm not actually giving them what they need, right? So have you ever seen uh, an NFL game? I think we've got a picture where you got this wide receiver and he just catches it. He runs all the way down. He's got a 50-yard reception. And then right there, you know, you got the end zone right here and he just celebrates and just flips it back. Right, right before the end zone. And he's celebrating. He thinks he just scored big. He's like, yes, let's go. But he didn't actually get to where he needed to be. Right? He didn't actually get into the end zone. And you can love someone to death. And here's the point. You can love someone to death. You can have the best arguments. You can call out their idols. But if you don't give them the gospel, you might as well have just run 99 yards down the football field and fumbled at the one-yard line. You didn't give them what they needed. You might have given them an answer for how old the earth is, but you didn't give them the answer for how they can be saved. The gospel is what changes people. The gospel is what transforms people into a new creations that can go out and share this message. So go and share the gospel. Give them what they need. Oftentimes, let's be honest, um, uh, you know, I, I, I oftentimes think that, man, if I could just get through all of these objections, if I could just get through all of these arguments against Christianity, then, then I can win them over. And that can be exhausting if you think about it, right? Like I have to answer 30 questions before I can, that can be, that can be exhausting. When in reality, oftentimes what you're going to find is that when you just simply share the gospel with somebody, all of their other questions start to fade away. And this is what I meant yesterday by saying you don't have to be an intellectual. You don't have to be charming. You don't have to be a stud, awesome guy that people are girl, that people are just like, wow, I want to believe in Jesus because of you. No, you just have to know a few simple things. Know the gospel, and the gospel takes care of so many other questions. In fact, I, uh, I had a friend who uh, used to be an atheist. He went to my school, uh, and then he was a Buddhist. And he led the Buddhist chapter in Ames. There's not a lot of Buddhists in Iowa, uh, but he led it in Ames. And, uh, and then he messaged me on Facebook one time, and he's like, hey, I got some questions. Let's sit down and talk. And so I knew that he was an atheist, and then he was a Buddhist. So I'm thinking, okay, I gotta, you know, I'm getting ready. I got to be able to answer all these questions. And so for like the first two meetings, I'm going and I'm digging through all these things. And, I'm, and he's like, he finally stops me. He goes, John, that's all good. Like, that's really good. I think I probably needed to hear some of those things. But like, 
could you just tell me what the Bible says about salvation? Because that's really what I need to hear right now. And it was like a gut check at that moment. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should stop complicating things, right? Maybe I should just give them the gospel. Give them the gospel and watch God do his amazing work. But, you know, for being honest, the gospel is the most offensive part about witnessing. It's, it's where you tell them you're, you're living in sin. It's the offensive part. It's called good news because there is bad news, right? The gospel is offensive. And so what I've found can be extremely helpful to help. You can take that picture down, by the way. Uh, to uh, taking care of some of our fears when it comes to sharing the gospel is having something called gospel structure, right? Gospel structure. And what I mean is that Many of us share the gospel like someone who doesn't know where they're going and is trying to give you directions, right? So they're like, yeah, I mean, you kind of just, you back up, right? And uh, you take a left, and uh, once you, you know, you go around that loop, that loop over there, and uh, if you hit that red house, you've gone too far. Uh, You start smelling, you know, chickens, a chicken farm, that's old Betty's house. You don't want to, no, come on back, you can't do that. Right, And so you're just all over the place. And this is how many of us share the gospel. We go, yeah, I mean, uh, so what, what does someone need to be saved? Well, I mean, uh, you know, Jesus died. Uh, oh, man, what is it? Uh, you know, uh, God, he's a good God. He's a good God. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, this God, oh, oh, wait, Jesus is God as well. Jesus is God. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, he, he, uh, you, you're not a very good person, by the way. Uh, and Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, right? Are any of those things I said untrue about the gospel? No, they're all gloriously true. And we should rejoice in them, right? But when you say them out of order, it kind of leaves somebody going, what? What are you trying to say right here? So what we should do is we need to understand how to explain the gospel to people in a way that they will be able to follow and understand it, right? Does that make sense? And so I'm not, there's there's many ways you could do this, but you could just take my way right here. Uh, And I think I got, it uh, will pop up here in a second. Um, I got four points right here. Four ways that you can share the gospel with people right here, or these four things that you can take somebody through. So write these down. Know who God is, know who they are, know the situation, and know the solution, right? So know who God is, know who they are, know the situation, and know the solution. So, so who is God? God is holy. God is awesome. God is morally perfect. He is a righteous God Just like the visual we said at the first day, he is that blazing sun of glory that none of us can approach. So that's who God is. Then know who you are. You are a sinner. You are unholy. If God is the standard, if his character is a standard of perfection, of moral perfection, you have broken that standard. You are not holy. You are sinful. Then know the situation. Know the situation. If God is holy, And if I am not holy, then there arises this inescapable problem that we as humans have. 
right? We cannot work our way back to perfection. We want perfection. This is why we want a world in which everything works out for, for good, right? This is why we love fairy tales. Everything works out for good. They live happily ever after. These are our hearts. This is our hearts crying out for perfection. We desire a world in which there is no injustice, right? So we desire that, and we can't get there on our own. And a simple analogy I like to give is it's like a test. You take a test. You get a test. You get the first question on the test wrong. How many questions in a row do you have to get right to get back up to 100%? You can't. It's, it's impossible. It's logically impossible. And then the Bible is very clear. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You can't work your way to God. It's, that's the situation. God's holy. And if you're not, there's this problem. The situation is there is a moral impossibility to bridge that gap to perfection. And then finally, know the solution. The only way to bridge that gap and for you to be able to reach perfection is if perfection reaches back to you, right? And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who goes, hey, I am God. I love you so much that I am going to come down to earth. I'm going to go to my enemies. I'm going to go to those who hate me, and I'm going to give them me. I'm going to die on a cross, absorb all of their imperfection so that I can give them my perfection right? That's the righteousness right there. And that's key. We need to have gospel structure if we're going to win our ones or your one to Christ. We need to love the gospel. And then finally, we need to have feet that keep moving. So at the very end of this story, we have Paul. He essentially takes on the entire intellectual kingdom of the world at the time. He's, he's debating Richard Dawkins, essentially, right? And he does it with love. He's brilliant. His brilliant arguments. He does it with the power of the gospel. So this is the perfect formula, right? Was there a big revival? No. No. Verses 32 through 34 said, some mocked, some were intrigued. They go, ah, I think that sounds interesting. And then only a few believed. So here's our final lesson that Paul teaches us. If you want to share the gospel with your loved ones, you must be trusting in the results that God gives you. God is going to give you the results. Once my dad told me, you don't know until you go. Right? And his point was, you're not going to know if God is willing to save someone's soul until you pick up your feet and just trust God with what happens. Guys, it's not, we all want our loved ones to come to Christ, but it's not your job to save someone. It can't be. You can't do that. You can't raise the dead. Only God can do that. It wasn't the disciples who raised Lazarus from the dead. It was Jesus. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. That's God's work. God awakens dead spirits. And God may be awakening so many of your spirits here this evening, or this, today, this week. God may be pricking you. He may be challenging you. 
And if that it's true, don't run away from that call. But as Christians, we ought to leave that to, to God to, uh, to save someone. Paul put it like this in Romans 8 as we wrap up here. He said, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Josh and I's mentor, Chuck, we were out knocking on doors one time, and it was pouring rain. And I was, then I have a good attitude, right? Like I had a family at home, I had a wife. I'm like, Chuck, what in the world are we doing out here? No one's going to answer the door. And he's like, come on, John, we got to do this. You know, he's crazy. He's walking into people's houses anyway, so he doesn't care. And so it's pouring out rain, and we have like these, this list of 10 addresses. And, and sure enough, we go to every single one. Nobody answers. People see us home. They don't answer the door. They're like, ah, forget these guys. And so I'm kind of like, okay, are we going to go to all these? Oh, I guess we are. Okay, I'm following you, Chuck. And so by the last name, God had convicted me. And he's like, John, get your act together. Get your attitude right. And I was like, okay, you're right, God. Forgive me. Let's focus on this last one. Who's, what's the name? It's Linda. Lord, please let Linda be home. And so we go to the door, we knock on the door, and there's a 60-year-old lady that opens the door. And she's like, oh, you guys are wet. Come on in, come on in. And so we, we come in there, and just at the right time, we came with a gospel message that this older woman was desperate to hear. And so we started a Bible study with her, and just in a couple weeks, she would come to trust Christ. And so from her perspective, I should say, from our perspective, there are so many that were rejecting us, right? We kept on knocking on doors. Everyone's rejecting us. Yet for that one, for Linda, from her perspective, our wet feet carried a beautiful message to her that will reap the rewards for all of eternity. And you don't know you don't know what God is willing to do. You just don't. But he does want faithful servants. He wants you to go out and share the gospel. And you don't know until you go. So there's our four lessons that we learned from Paul. A little bit more practical today. But think about them as you think of your one. Do you have a heart for the lost? Don't pray for less fear. Pray for more love. Do you have eyes for the idol, for their idols? Ask them questions. Get to know them. Do you have guts to speak the gospel or to speak the truth? Work on your gospel structure. And then are you trusting God with the results? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God, Lord. Give us a bigger picture of who you are this week. And Lord, I do pray that you would be equipping these students in here, the ones that know you, I pray that you'd be equipping them to go out with your gospel message and share it with the world. And for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to draw on them throughout the week. Continue to draw them, even tonight as Josh preaches. Lord, we love you in your son's name. Amen.